Hello, Serie A fans, and welcome to another episode of the Total Football Analysis Serie A podcast. My name is Daniel Proc, and I'm joined by football analyst Steve Coleman. How are you, Steve? Yeah, morning. How are you? I'm pretty good. I'm also joined by professional center back for North Carolina FC, Alex Comzia. What's up, Alex? Doing well, thank you. And uh, of course, we're also joined by EPL podcast host, Chris Mumford. How are you, Chris? so. Thanks for asking. Before we get into match analysis, we have to give a shout out to Gianluigi Buffon, who uh, just broke the record for Serie A appearances this weekend with 648 appearances in Serie A, surpassing Paolo Maldini. Uh, just for your curiosity, the other guy on the podium is Francesco Totti with 618. Um, the other guy, the other goalkeeper on pace to break this record at some point in the future will be AC Milan keeper Gianluigi Donnarumma. He currently has 170 appearances in Serie A and he's only 21 years old. So that means that he technically needs about 13 seasons to beat the record and by then he'll be 34, which makes that kind of a feasible um, record to break. What do you guys think about Gigi Buffon's uh, 648 appearances in the Italy's top tier? Well, by then, Donnarumma will be somewhere else anyway with Milan. Don't get European football for too long. So, so it's difficult to break Don't that record. Don't say that. Don't say that. <laughs> but for goalkeepers, I'll just pass on to Chris. <laughs> no, I, I, I feel for him because I know how he feels every morning when he wakes up and gets out of bed. <laughs> you know? <laughs> it's, like, it's like every game Every game feels like the next day is like you, you just had a car wreck. Uh, you, you get up, you warm up. You know, I, I think the key thing with him is he's he's traded his his speed and quickness for uh, experience and, and forethought, right? I mean, thank goodness the young guys don't know how to translate that experience into anticipation and acting on those hunches. So I also have to imagine in the clubhouse, he's got to be, well, he's a legend. He's got to be a great clubhouse leader. And I think that's probably why they keep him around. Yeah, absolutely. His presence must be uh, of immense value for the Bianconeri. Bianconeri, who won 4-1 in the Turin Derby this weekend. Uh, Dybala scored again. Ronaldo scored again. But uh, let's get into, uh, into the goals and uh, let's look at the way they happened. So the first goal happened in the third minute. Dybala basically dribbled through the uh, Torino defense and then finished with his left foot. Alex, I wanted to ask you something. Was it too easy for Dybala to score that goal? Well, it's exactly what we would expect from Dybala to take on the defenders in the way he did. Obviously, very shifty, very creative, um, very tricky with his side-to-side movements and the manipulation of the ball. I do think Janko, number four, went down too easily, which allowed... Uh, Dybala to, to cut to his rights and eliminate him as a, as a potential blocking path or an interception. When you go down, you got to make sure you get the ball because you don't have enough time to get back up and react and get behind the ball. It's just too late. So then Dybala cuts to his right, and then he goes back to his left. I believe the second defender gets a foot on it, but it's just not enough. And Dybala gets his first goal. Really exceptional dribble. But again, in my opinion, Janko goes down too easily. It needs to continue to move his feet and stay in front so he can block that passing lane. Or the yeah. shooting lane, excuse me. 
Yeah, I don't want to pick on Lianco, but he was also uh, kind of responsible maybe for Juventus' second goal. There was a quick counter-attack led by Ronaldo, who then uh, assisted Cuadrado, and Cuadrado went on a 1v1 versus Lianco and, and scored. I think too easily Lianco should have stepped on Cuadrado to just uh, stay closer and maybe prevent that shot from, uh, uh, from going toward the goal. But let's talk about the third goal. Cristiano Ronaldo finally made it after 42 attempts from, uh, from free kick with the Juventus jersey. He finally scored a screamer on, uh, on free kick. He also became the first Juventus player since 1961 to score 25 goals in one season in Serie A. Guys, I think the last goal by Cristiano Ronaldo on free kick was that uh, 2018 World Cup a goal against, uh, against Spain. When it really mattered, that one. <laughs> uh, they were giving him a hard time for just taking all the free kicks and at Juventus and not and not putting them in a, in the back of the net. Uh, fourth goal by Juventus. It was uh, across from the left side, and there was an own goal by Gigi, which is not Gigi Buffon, but <laughs> Gigi, defender of Torino, spelled D J Y D J Y. Alex, you are, you're a defender, and uh, probably you have scored on goals at some point <laughs> in your professional life. <laughs> what is the thought process in the, on that occasion? Well, I'm lucky enough not to have scored an own goal in a game, but in practice, it, it definitely happens. Um, yeah, not a great own goal here by Gigi because there's different types of own goals. There's an own goal where you really didn't have much control. It hits you in the face and it deflects and the keeper's already diving one way. And there's own goals like this, where it just seemed like a beautiful finish, Daniela. You, you could definitely say it as a strike. Inside of the foot, beautifully placed. <laughs> yeah, and you can attribute that to, in my opinion, he, Gigi gets a little nervous that Iguain is running very hard, making a hard run right in behind him. And he doesn't see him because he's on his blind spot or right behind him. So he doesn't adjust and move his feet well and adjust his body position to a position where you're going to clear the ball. In my opinion, he should have shifted his shoulders to the left so he can send the ball out exactly where the cross came from or higher up the field. And then hit it with the inside of your foot, but not turning your foot towards the goal. Keep a strong, locked inside of your right foot and just hammer it out the other way. So it was... It was definitely not great. You know, at that point, the game was, was done. But an early on own goal can sometimes be very unmotivating and can um, hit your confidence as a defender for sure. Yeah, it was uh, absolutely a great finish by Gigi. And we also saw great finishes in the game between Napoli and Roma, which mm -hmm. uh, finished 2-1 uh, to one for, uh, for Napoli. Uh, Steve, why don't you unpack that game for us? Yeah, um... Interesting game this one, more so because I was expecting something a little bit different from Roma. They played, obviously, in the first round of games back in November, they played with a 4-2-3-1 with a against Napoli and, and nicked a 2-1 win. So it was quite surprising to see Fonseca come out with a, with a very medium-style block with a back five rather than a back three. Um, and it was obviously to try and counter the threats that Napoli had, especially down that left-hand side, which we'll talk about, I'm sure. But, um, yeah, interesting move from Fonseca. Shows the tactical flexibility, again, of the league and people adjusting to, to play against an opponent uh, rather than actually continuing on in their own way. So I think in the league, you have 
a pretty standardised group of teams who don't change for anyone. They keep doing what they're doing. And Napoli are obviously one of those. And then you have teams underneath them and around them who, who like to mix it up and change to to suit the the op- the opponent rather than rather than with their own necessary kind of style, I guess. So they played with a, th- a flat three in midfield as well, Roma, and that was to counter obviously the the wing the wing backs or the full backs coming higher up the pitch. So. Um, it wasn't to be to be fair. I don't know what you guys think, but it wasn't one of the better games I've seen this weekend. Yeah, no, I agree. I think that it got lively in uh, in the second half um, yeah. with some great individual skills, uh, both from Napoli and and Roma players. But uh, like, like you said, off the air, probably both teams didn't really have uh, much to play for, given their their table position. No, I think there's there's I think twelve and fifteen points between these two and, and Atalanta. Obviously, Napoli got beat by Atalanta in the week, uh, which which opened up the gap even further. But they're pretty safe from a Europa League perspective um, with with the Coppa Italia win. So I don't think they're they're overly overly bothered about whether they finish you know seventh eighth. You know, I'm not sure it really really has too much of an impact. But um, I think as the game went on, you definitely saw things within the game that that they used. To, to create chances later on. So, for example, with with Roma's back five, they were quite comfortable having the ball in front of them um, with with Napoli and their short passing game. A lot of stuff that they do is in front with with the odd um, runner coming from kind of a third man style uh, situation. But Gattuso actually used something a little bit different and he created a couple of chances in the first half uh, with, with this, where, where a runner came from, from deeper in midfield. So, there's a chance, chance quite early on, 18th, 19th minute, where uh, the Roma back five were, were loaded up by the by the Napoli front three, and the the runner um, came from came from much deeper into into the uh, top line from a forward pass from from Rui in behind, and, and created two two or three really good chances with, with those moments where when you play with a, thra- a flat three in midfield. The chances are that they have to get across and protect the advancing fullbacks, the, the dangerous spaces, obviously, as we've spoken about, in front or behind or your wing backs. So when you play with a flat three, they, they tend to slide across and deal with the deal with the fullback as he advances. But then sometimes you forget about what's actually happening in your zone in midfield. So while you're sliding across, it's difficult to track runners going beyond you. Now that's okay if you have enough numbers to absorb the runners. But when you send your fullback or your wing-back out to defend, you know, Mario Rui, for example, they sent the wing-back out to, to press the ball there. It creates a three versus four situation in the in the back line for, for Roma. And then you have a runner coming from deep. You know, I don't know what you think, Alex, but who deals with the runner? You know, is it a midfield person to deal with it or is it one of the back four now to deal with that runner? Exactly. It's usually a coach's decision. And it depends on the formation completely. And uh, it gets pretty heated in certain discussions because between players, it, it, you got him. No, you got him. Yeah. And all of yeah. a sudden, he's free running straight through. So, again, I think it's a, it's a coach's decision. It was yeah. your F man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. And I, and I think as, as the game wore on and Napoli, obviously, they're so good at dragging one team to one side to hurt them on the opposite side the, the more they did that the harder it was for the Roma three to get across in midfield and protect the advancing fullback and then you start to end up with a two versus one in the in the wide area or you get you know insignia for example darting inside to to overload on a, on a back three situation and 
you know, they, they certainly picked Roma apart and, and the stats about that, I think 21 shots with 11 on target in the end for, for Napoli, whereas Roma's only seven shots with, with three on target. So for Roma, I, th- I think if you're going to play in, in that sort of way, and Fonseca obviously would have known this during the game, you have to be able to threaten at some point and throw your own punches. And I think when you have somebody like Jacko at the top, he's a very, what I'll call a fixed pivot position in a, in a counter-attacking moment. And what I mean by that is he's not overly mobile these days. You know, <clears throat> it's not it's not kind of the the peak of his career now. He's, he's certainly still a dangerous uh, striker to play against, but he's not going to run in behind or he's not going to threaten, you know, beyond the ball so much. So they used him more of a, find him quickly on the counter and let Cliver and Pellegrini especially feed off of him. Pellegrini had a great chance, if you remember, in the in the first 25 minutes or so where he got a knockdown from a from a direct ball out from the back on a counter. Jekko knocked it down for him and he, he carried the ball probably 40, 50 metres into the, into the Napoli third and, and fired just wide. So... Those type of moments were were indicative of their of their threat and their goal. Obviously, from Mkhitaryan came in the same in the same way, ball into Jacko's feet. He held off Koulibaly, switched to the opposite side. Mkhitaryan acres of space. Clivert running beyond him, drags the defenders away, and he finishes with a great shot into the bottom corner. So, I think you can see elements of of the the tactics that both coaches we obviously using Gattuso. We know very well the way he wants to play. Fonseca's use of the counter-attack in this game obviously was successful, but in the end, the game's won by a fantastic finish from, from Insigne there, and it just shows how valuable he is to, to Napoli and, and how much he's loved by by that club and, and those fans and those and those players as well. You know, it's a, it's a brilliant finish from, from nothing, really. Can we talk about the position from which he scored the curler? He was yeah. almost outside <laughs> of the lateral edge of the yeah. box. Yeah. Moving backwards. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I tell you, I, I know that those those shots are the most vexing goals because they only have a 0.04 xG, so that's a four yeah. percent probability of going in. But wow. as a keeper, it's just it's mind-boggling because if they if they chip that right with just amount of curve, it almost feels like this much space is like that much space for mm-hmm. the ball to go into. And Chris, yeah. it, it's a four percent, but when you have when you see players like Insigne, Del Piero, or in the Premier League, Salah, when you see them striking those shots, it looks like the percentage is way higher than that. No, I, I would say Mares is, is right in that category. He likes to cut in and mm. hit those curlers, and it's just like, uh-oh, we're going to have a problem here. Speaking of which, uh, you know, in this game, I, I uh, my good friend Sam Brotherton uh, thinks that I'm too hard on the defenders and not hard enough on the keepers. I, I think that first goal, um, it's it's Kai Home. He he took the the cross in at the five or six. I really yeah. think the Roma keeper. He sat in at the three. And if a ball is coming in on the five or six, you've got to eat that up. You've got to sweep right there. So uh, defender. No, it's it, it's a it's a brilliant it's a brilliant ball from Rui. Yeah. There's one just just before half time that he delivers where they hit the crossbar. Miller hits yeah. the crossbar from a from a similar sort of. Um, Distance, fantastic ball again. The 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 right was definitely on the wall, but again, it's the runners from deep. The the back three are absorbing pressure. They're not necessarily dealing with runners coming from deeper positions. Yeah, you know, it's a, it's a really good finish. Should he save it as well? Is is the next question? Well, you know, it kind of bobbles through his legs and stuff. And you know, I, I I like his chances instead of sitting on the three waiting to take a shot on you, is going out and and eating it up. Um, 
as you guys know, I'm a fan of Ederson, and that would have never happened. Ederson it probably would have just followed it. It had just followed it to Jesus and had accounted off it probably. So <laughs> I just think we need to appreciate the timing, the perfect timing it was, it was of, of Callejon's run and the cross at the exact perfect time. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And you look at the Roma defender where Callejon runs. Callejon runs from, from deeper, like you said, Steve. Yeah, and that's it's tough to defend because he's already picked up speed. By the time he realizes that he's run off his shoulder, it's too late. The cross is coming in already. He's already got an advantage. Plus, the Roma defender, the reason why he's not shifting over a little bit to the left and blocking off Callejon's path is because he's too worried about leaving too much of a gap between himself and I think it was the maybe Smalling, the next Roma defender over. I forgot who it was, and he's worried about that. But you have to at one point forget the fact that you want to stay compact as a three or a five in this case and realize where is the threat coming from? You know, who's coming into the box. If there's nobody in the box and one guy's running off your shoulder, it's okay for you to leave a little bit more of a gap just to bump his path. Yeah. And uh, I also, I also think that, that their, their natural inclination to play a little bit higher at the pitch has, has cost them a little bit in this game because like Alex says, there, there's two, two or three balls there that have got in behind a, a back five who are trying to defend crosses from, from obviously a dangerous, dangerous threat. But if you look at, if you go back and look at the video, the body shape of the of the back five are facing facing the ball, opens themselves up to to an issue with balls in behind where they have to scramble. Alex says there's runners coming from deep; they've already picked up pace. You know, Alex, if you set that line from from those two chances, you know, even even five yards deeper. You know, the threat nullifies itself a lot more. And in a game where you want to have the ball in front like they did, it's it's unusual for them to try and set that line higher and allow so much space in behind from, from those wide areas. Let me ask you the question on the Mkhitaryan goal. Was that during a water break? Because I didn't see the Napoli midfielders there at all. Chris, <laughs> I, was, I was about to say that. I was about to say that. Because- and, and I will tell you, I will tell you this, you know, if 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 someone takes a shot from twenty five yards out, as a keeper, questions are going to be asked, uh, especially if it's on the ground. And I did see it bounce, but I just feel like, all right, did, were, were were Napoli? Were they? You know, were they making dinner reservations already? Because I just I didn't feel <laughs> I didn't feel that there was the energy to stop that goal there. I think no, the- I think it came from a from a sustained period of pressure again from Napoli and once you get that you get high fullbacks wide players inside you get a dominance and and you can get away with that if you have Koulibaly against a smaller centre forward who he can out muscle but like I said earlier you fix Dzeko in a position where Koulibaly's tight wants to try and win the ball off him he doesn't win it then you've got an issue on the on the weak side as, as they break quickly beyond Napoli, who, who are trying to get back, but they're they're not they're not. We're in a title race. Need to get back and defend this this shot. Exactly. And as a defender, you know the defenders are doing everything while they're closing the space. And Mkhitaryan, obviously, it's an amazing shot, and he doesn't even have to beat anyone. He just has to shimmy and then hit it. But you cannot tell me that the defensive midfielders at that moment it's a one hundred percent sprint, get behind the ball, win it back, mm-hmm. and we'll go again. But again, like you said, maybe maybe they just count on their defense. Maybe it, it, this didn't matter as much if this was a Champions League final or the Serie A final. Maybe they would have made that run. I don't know. But you can look at them and they're like 60%. Like, oh, he's not going to score from here. He's, oh, oh my gosh, he did. 
And guys, you know that. Any chance in the first half is the same. Exactly the same, where he runs from deeper. Mm -hmm. They try and delay it. Happy for him to shoot from distance back themselves. But yeah, it's a great finish. Now, like you said, Steve, it was a pattern. Like this transition moments for Roma happened mm -hmm. uh, multiple times during the game. I am a fan of, uh, of tactical fouls. So if I ever get close yeah. to a guy running uh, at 100%. that speed, I bump in the back, get a yellow card and resettle. Uh, but honestly, about this game, I'm very happy about uh, uh, Callejon uh, scoring again, you know, since he's got that uh, Arthur Shelby. <laughs> that look. He found his yeah. doppelganger, his look like. <laughs> he definitely stepped up his game. He's... Uh, He's more of an evil striker uh, now yeah. with, his, with that message. Um, another important game that happened this weekend uh, was Lazio against, uh, against Milan. Uh, Lazio lost 3 to nothing, um, taking, taking probably everybody by surprise. But there are some reasons why um, I think that happened. For instance, Lazio couldn't count on Ciro Immobile, the league's top scorer. And Inzaghi decided to, to play Luis Alberto, who is an attacking midfielder, as one of the front two strikers in Lazio's 3-5-2. Obviously, it was, uh, he's much different of a player, right? Luis Alberto is more of a, a guy that takes up playmaking duties in the final third versus Immobile likes to make deep runs, test the defensive lines with uh, his direct and strong movements. Um, so I think that uh, what helped Milan is that they were, the Milan defense was always able to have Lazio's play in front of them because there wasn't really someone testing them with vertical and uh, committed runs. So, Alex, would you agree that that makes for a much easier game in terms of controlling uh, the strikers? Well, yeah, it's, it's what you want as a defense. You want the play to be in front of you. And, and that's ind individually, you want the player to be in front of you and you either win the ball back or force him backwards or sideways, the worst case scenario, but you don't want them going forwards. And it depends, again, if you have the players, if you have a Ramos and Varane and you want to play a high line, that's a different story. You know, they can, they can track back and make those crazy runs and then you can really press teams high and, and cause problems for them and win the ball up higher. So, again, as a def it depends on your personnel. It depends on what are your qualities of your center backs, you know, your full backs. Uh, what result do we want? Are we winning? Are we losing? Are we tied? Is this game... You know, is it the second leg and we're up 3-0? It all is very, it's very contextual. So, but, you know, in general, you want the play to be in front of you because you can see everything happening. Yeah, except for a couple of uh, um, runs in the second half by Lazio. The, they really didn't bring many offensive threats to, uh, to the Milan goal. And um, AC Milan was also lucky, I would say, in the first half to get the two-goal lead. First goal was deflected. Um, it was a shot by Chalanoglu. The second goal was uh, a PK converted by Zlatan Ibrahimovic, 38 years old. Um, and then in the 60th minute, Rebic put the game to sleep with, uh, uh, with a third goal. Um, you know, Chris, there, uh, I, did, I wanted to ask you a question about a goalkeeper that I think is, uh, is very much uh, underrated in Serie A. And... Um, we're talking about uh, Lukas Korupski from Bologna. And uh, this past weekend, Bologna won away at San Siro. They beat Inter 2-1. And the man of the match was undoubtedly Skorupski. What, uh, what do you got on him? Well, he is 
one of the top Polish keepers. Uh, he's 29 years old, six foot two, uh, and really more of kind of that traditional goalkeeper, um, agile, um, super quick. Um, and that really comes in handy in things like PKs. Uh, and the save that he had towards the end of the game uh, really uh, got him the three points. Uh, yeah, Sanchez, yeah. One. I will tell you that in terms of expected goals, you know, he, he's supposed to have saved 36 and he's – or expect to have had 36 goals scored against him. He's given up 41. So he's actually on the, on the wrong end of that. Um, but, uh, you know, I, that will be, it'll remain to be seen what happens in the next few games. Uh, cause we've got eight or nine matches. He certainly has the talent and the speed for it. Um, but, uh, right now he's, he's, he's trailing a little bit when it comes to city keepers. Yeah. And, um, if you guys didn't watch the game, if you guys, uh, if you guys that are listening to to this pod, so basically, uh, Inter had a PK. Lautaro missed it. Well, Skorupski saved it, and then I think it was Gagliardini from Inter who got on the rebound and then struck the ball again. And Skorupski had a a double save on that. Uh, on that occasion, Alex, if you are the defending team and you see someone who's not the PK taker getting on the ball before one of the defenders how like how do you what do you make of it it's a lapse of concentration as a def and it's actually a, a lack of confidence in your goalkeeper to make a save you need to be blocking out the forwards as a defender and not even be thinking about the pk and just have a trust and confidence in your goalkeeper that he will save it and you need to get there first <laughs> never let a forward get there first because usually the fours are not the ones that are, you know, banking on, on a rebound, unless it's yourself, right? But defenders need to, need to bank on a rebound. <laughs> defenders need to bank on a rebound and show that they have their confidence, not by words, but by their body language. So that's, that's my take on it. And also, correct me if I'm wrong, but if you're a defender and you shield a striker um, as you're on top of the box, the ref will not call a foul on you. But if it happens the other way around, if it's a striker right. shielding a defender, that... That will be a foul, right? Yeah, and I've also done the stepping on the toes. Um, okay, you're learning. <laughs> pushing, pushing in with your elbow. Any, any little technique you can do. Wait that, a minute, Alex. Are, I just want to warn you: the statute of limitations uh, was you, you. You should be speaking to your legal counsel before you uh, admit those things. <laughs> on the podcast. That, Danny's I, already done it. Talking about tactical fouls earlier, he's <laughs> he's already in. Yeah. I know these guys are going to be in prison by by the next podcast. <laughs> we have a sneaky a sneaky mentality here. And uh, hey, I will <laughs> tell you, as a keeper, sometimes it's better to be lucky than it is to be right. You know, he, he made, he made the, and, and maybe he picked it off right on, but the ball was about 20 inches away to his right. And then he did exactly what he was supposed to do on a deflection. He stood up and thankfully that, uh, that, um, striker tried to hit the ball through his chest rather than tapped it into the side panel. <laughs> so, uh, <clears throat> there's one thing, there's death that you can count on taxes and strikers trying to knock the ball through the goalkeeper <laughs> sure things in life so yeah two terrible finishes both the the pk by lautaro and uh, the rebound by gagliardini but let's move on to some uh, some match previews so again we're gonna have two waves of games coming at us one will be played between tuesday and thursday 
and the second one will be played over the weekend. Uh, I would like to spend a couple words on Milan against Juventus. Uh, will be played Tuesday, July 7th. Uh, Milan will play with uh, uh, their typical 4-2-3-1. They're going to probably um, feature the same 11 that beat Lazio, except for Chalanoglu, who's out with injury. And uh, Lucas Paqueta should play um, in, uh, in his place. Milan look to continue their streak of four positive results. And uh, they now sit seventh in the table. They're two points below fifth and sixth place, Roma and Napoli, respectively. And they're trying to uh, social distance themselves from uh, from Elas Verona, that are now four points behind them. Uh, Juventus will play uh, with their typical 4-3-3. Uh, Rugani will step in for the league uh, because Juventus is really torn apart by injuries. Chiellini is out, Demiral is out. Um, so Daniele Rugani will feature next to, to Bonucci. And uh, also Paolo Dybala is suspended. Um, so uh, Gonzalo Higuain will start uh, next to him, uh, Alex. Do you uh, do you have anything uh, specific to say about Rugani? He, he doesn't get many appearances in Serie A because obviously, uh, yeah, he's got better defenders in front of him. But uh, what do you make of him? Just like you said, he has better defenders in front of him. I don't think there's anything from a Juventus perspective that's particularly that impressive uh, about him, and he doesn't need to be that impressive. He just needs to be not noticeable and, and do his job and fill in. And as a fourth string center back that can actually be quite a task at times because you don't get the reps in it's not the same as hopping in as a striker who has not been playing for a while the pressure in my opinion is bigger because your mistakes will be under a spotlight you can get nine plays out of ten right if Rugani gets that tenth play wrong it's his fault so I don't think there's anything particularly that we need to watch for for him he just needs to have a solid you know under the radar performance in my the, opinion the Plus, pressure is especially high if you sit in the in the middle of the best defense in the league Juventus have only considered 26 goals against but they're gonna now have a, a tough run because in the next two weeks they're gonna play uh, Milan Atalanta and Lazio so Milan Atalanta are probably the two teams with the best momentum in uh, in Serie A and then who knows uh, on July 20 when uh, Juventus will play Lazio, the, the gap, which is now seven points, could be reduced to um, you know three or four, and then maybe that game will become a, a decisive one. But would you guys say that this week is the decisive one for Juventus to actually make a statement about about the title? Yeah, without a doubt, I think the you know notwithstanding their next game, Juventus Atalanta's a must. Watch for everyone out there for a start, but but also one that they they can't afford to slip up on. I think the the, the league could be done and dusted by the end of this three game swing, and or it could be right back on and 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 Lazio right back in the mix. Um, yeah, it's it's certainly a pivotal week as the games keep coming. It's hard to keep up sometimes, but it's it's definitely a pivotal week. Daniele, I'm curious to get your take. You know that Milan Juventus is going to have some of the best strikers to have ever played uh on, on the pitch what do you see out of Ibra's game now or Ronaldo's game now has it do you feel that Ibra's in particular has evolved very much in the last few years well I think that uh like Steve said about Jekyll right these strikers are aging so they're more uh pivotal uh they take up more pivotal roles um they are a big presence in that they they're intimidating for the opponent's defenses 
Um, so just th- having them on the field is a is a huge plus. I can't really put Ronaldo in the same uh, in the same pot because his physical uh, skills are just um, too good. He still looks looks young. He's been scoring for what five straight games now. Um, so it's going to be interesting to see uh, two legends, Zlatan and Cristiano, against uh, against each other. Um, yeah. Who, who do you I, feel the most as a, as a keeper? Well, I I today I of course I fear Ronaldo, um, but uh, well on any day I'd probably fear both of them. But what what what, what if you what if you face them on the street? <laughs> <laughs> well, you know. I, I probably fear a six foot five man, which would be Ibra, right? So, uh, but um, uh, you know I, what I'm really struck by is Ibra is still able to get so much respect. You know, there's a there's a, a phrase we we use here in the states where whenever Ibra walks into the room, you know, sits at the table, that's where the head of the table is, right? And I just am <laughs> really struck by. <clears throat> how defenses he can still really mess with defensive shapes where people he can just drag entire defenses over even though he doesn't seem to be that super fast right but he knows how to make that run at the right time and get the ball and bam get it to the right person and Allah will kazam he's got an assist as he did last last match so yeah I I think he's I think he's such a focal point for Milan obviously the the result against Lazio he comes back into the team it's no coincidence that they're all of a sudden got a lot more attacking threat but if you're trying to play into his feet someone's got to protect that pass into his feet otherwise you you open up vulnerabilities with him coming off the front and dragging defenders with him so like like Chris has just said there he's constantly playing with defensive shape comes off the front to receive He's not going to run in behind these days, but <clears throat> his teams are going to play, you know, with a higher line. He can play around corners. He can flick the ball on to, to runners from deeper. You know, he's he's so so pivotal to, to what they want to do, even at even at his his advancing years. Um, he's still got a lot to offer them for sure. Absolutely, and um, especially if you surround him with uh, dynamic players, I think that's that's a good that's a good mix. But uh, mm. on Thursday, we're going to have another very interesting game as uh, Hellas Verona hosts Inter. Um, Steve, can you help us uh, see what we should expect from, uh, from this game? Yeah, I, I think it's fair to say you can expect a response from Inter. Mm-hmm. Um, I can't imagine Conte was overly pleased last time out in, in that game, um, getting beat in, in the last one. But he won't have a repeat performance of that. I, I thought they were a little bit toothless in that last game. and. Again, it just shows if, if teams are prepared to be patient with Inter, sit in their shape and, and defend deeper, then you negate a lot of the threat of, of the front two and, and the wing backs if you're prepared to deal with crosses and and um, and that situation. So I don't think you'll get that from Verona, but you'll get a matchup of, of systems, you know, three five two versus a three five two. So so that'll that'll cause some interesting Matchups across the pitch. Uh, Verona is still pushing hard for Europe. Uh, you know, there's not there's there's a gap, but you know, a couple of results either way. You know, with some difficult ones in front, and that they could they could overturn that. I think the gap is six points between them and um, Milan above them. Uh, so they're they're a difficult team to to break down. But and they also like we spoke about last week. They play forward with the highest percentage of their passes. So. It will be a very vertical game, this one, as in to try and play into the top line quickly and, and use runners going off Lukaku for, for sure. Um, 
but it'll be it'll be an interesting one and a, and a good watch. I, I think this one, uh, you know, two very energetic and, and physical teams. I, I think it'll be a good one to watch. This one, I agree. And you mentioned the wings. I'm interested to see the uh, the duels between Kandreva and Lazovic on one side, mm -hmm. and uh, Young and Faraoni on the on the other side. Um, yeah. Also, we're gonna have uh, this week could be decisive in terms of uh, of relegation battle. We're gonna have uh, Sampdoria against Udinese. They're currently sitting more comfortably than they were probably 10 days ago, but, uh, but still not safe. Job not done yet, absolutely. What, uh, what should we expect from this game, Steve? Yeah, the relegation battle, you know, like I said earlier, everything's coming thick and fast. So, so that relegation battle has probably gone from eight teams to, to four at the moment. And I say at the moment because the, the couple of teams at the bottom are not, not necessarily picking up huge amount of points. Um, so... Even though teams above them are getting beat, they're, they're not closing the gap themselves. Genoa, Genoa and, uh, and, not, and Lecce especially are the two that, that can get themselves out of it if they pick up points. But yeah, Udinese and Samp got interesting week ahead of them. Um, yeah, just when you thought everyone was getting dragged in, Samp pick up two important wins and, and move away. Um, and then obviously the Udinese win um, in their last game against Roma with my main man, Kevin Lasagna, scoring again. Mm -hmm. um, so... I think this one, this one will be, this one will be a, a battle of attrition. I think you'll find two, two teams who, who, who want the result but don't want to give away mistakes and, and allow opportunities too much. Ranieri obviously is such a such a tactical master that, that he'll have something in mind for for this game to make sure they they don't get beat first and foremost. Um, exactly. And Lasagna, uh, yeah. Yeah, Lasagna saving Udinese at the moment, so he'll have to counter that that threat from from all all different areas. Like we spoke about last week, he scores all sorts of goals, you know, with his head, with, you know, off his left hand side, stronger side. But he, he's got so many different types of goals in him, which is saving Udinese at the moment. So, but Stamford becoming so much more flexible under Ranieri as well. So I think that's going to help them in the long run. Uh, both teams have got good goal scorers at the top, obviously, uh, to to help. And, and at this stage, it's a massive threat. But they've both got games in between. Um, you know, in the in the lead up to that one, uh, you know, Udinese definitely beat Spal. Spal are hopeless at the moment. I, I think they they get a result there. Um, so it'll be it'll be an interesting interesting battle. You know, it's not one for the purists. I don't think the same as Torino to Torino Brescia, uh, which which is going on as well this week. They, they won't be games for the purists who want to watch fantastic fantastic players at the top end of the table, but they'll they'll be the ones with with the most on it for sure. Um, Torino Brescia is a really important one as well this week for sure. Yeah, I wanted to say something about Ranieri. It seems like he found that balance with the four four two slash four four one one, and he also yeah. he's also um, leaving um, last year's top scorer Fabio Quagliarella on the bench, but it mm. seems to be working right now. You know, towards the goal of uh, of not relegating, and uh, I mean Torino at home against Brescia. I don't think there's uh, there's much to say except for it's a must win. Um, mm. Brescia is currently sitting at 19 points. Um, no, sorry, they. Uh, I mean, they had a positive. Yeah, 19 points, 21. Sorry, yeah. because they 21 won. 21 points. Past, yeah. yeah, yeah, they won this past weekend. But um, Torino can really afford uh, not winning this game. It's too important. Um, yeah. yeah, Steve. In terms yeah, of they're, th they're 31. They're 31 points. Udinese 32 with Samp as well. So, you know, Genoa is behind them 27. So it's still it's still tight, but with games coming so quickly, it changes. It could change so quickly for better or worse for all of those teams. 
And as these teams uh, struggle, uh, are fighting to not relegate, there is a team uh, from, uh, from Serie B who uh, already managed to achieve promotion. I'm talking about Benevento, the team managed by uh, Filippo Inzaghi. And uh, they achieved it. They, they were able to, um, to get promoted to Serie A with seven games to spare. And they are returning to Serie A after two seasons in Italy's second division. Steve, what, uh, what you got on Benevento for us? Yeah, they're really, really fascinating team in obviously that Serie B. They haven't, they haven't lost a game since November. They, they lost at the weekend, um, having already been promoted. But they, they hadn't lost a game since November, unbeaten in 26. Only conceded 18 goals in the league. Uh, that was only 15 before they got beat 3-0 at the weekend. I think they were still still in the in the bar, maybe, that one um, from, from the weekend. A little bit like Liverpool. Um, so 15 goals in... in 30 games is a, is an unbelievable achievement from a defensive unit. You said earlier Juventus were 20 20 something goals in their in their 26. games. Yep. Yeah, 26. So Benevento 15 to get to the champion the championship position. But the interesting part about that is they don't have a single player in any of the defensive stat top 10s in in the league. Um, so as a collective they're they're really really difficult to break down in their 442 block. They they're very much zonal, um, as is Inzaghi's probably uh, experience and, and uh, time spent at, at big clubs in the in the late nineties, early two thousands. So they they defend really well from crosses, very direct type of league, Serie B. So whoever tends to be the best from from set pieces, which they are very very good from set pieces. Twenty one goals, I think, from set pieces this year um, out of out of their their goals scored, but. If ever there was a team made in the in the mould of their of their coach, it's definitely Benevento. You know, there's there's a saying where I, where I come from that you can't win the the lottery if you don't buy a ticket. And if you get enough balls into the box with enough numbers into the box, sooner or later you're going to create chances to score. And a lot of the goals they score, if if people out there have seen them play this year, a lot of the goals they score are messy, scrappy rebounds off the goalkeeper deflections off defenders and then the first ones to pick up the, yeah so so in Zaggy like and, <laughs> and all he's done is flip that at the other end of the pitch and made sure that they're the ones picking up those deflections and, and uh, blocks uh, and clearing them first so so they fully deserve to be to be where they are they've they run away with that league they're just so much so much better than everybody else in that league without having too many standouts it'll be interesting to see what they do recruitment wise next year to stay in Serie A they obviously had a pretty pretty tough time of it the last time up I think 20 23 games without a win uh, goalkeeper scored a header to to pick up their first point against Milan um, in the last minute to, to stop the rot there so he, he's got some work to do he's got he's got to recruit well uh, in the in the off season but yeah it'll be it'll be really really interesting to see how they go in in, in a big time having done so well yeah, and if you guys want to learn more about uh, Benevento's style of play, I highly suggest checking out Steve's piece on uh, Serie A analysis. Uh, he breaks down uh, Benevento in possession, out of possession, and in all of the phases of the game. Uh, I wanted to bring up an interesting fact about Benevento. So, uh, Roberto Insigne, who's the brother of uh, Lorenzo Insigne, plays for, uh, for Benevento. So, next year... We're going to have uh, two pairs of brothers going, uh, going against each other because we're going to have Filippo Inzaghi on the bench of Benevento going against Simone Inzaghi on the bench of Lazio. And in terms of uh, outfield players, we're going to have Roberto Insigne going against Lorenzo Insigne. 
Can you guys guess who is the other pair of brothers who are currently playing in Serie A? <laughs> playing? Uh, Lukaku, must be. Oh, yeah. I forgot that. Sorry, there's another one then. Uh, Sorry, yeah, you're right. <laughs> you hacked the system. Yeah, uh, Lukaku from the uh, left back from Lazio and Lukaku, um, striker of, of Inter. There is another one. Chris, I expect you to know that. Oh, wow. You put me on the spot. I'm, I'm drawing a blank. Uh, it's, the, I, it's, I, I it's, the it's the Donnarumma's. There you go. Uh, yeah. Chris, I, I told you that uh, I expect you to know it because I know how much you hate Donnarumma. I don't hate him. <laughs> he's, he's at 21 years old. He's, he's more goalkeeper than I ever was. No question. But uh, it's just, it, it's, it's a style and preference thing. I, I like the, the smaller, more, more agile, high distribution capability keepers. Um, but I am, I'm very confident that, you know, with, he's got five years under his belt at 21 years old. He's going to learn how to read things as fast as Buffon does at this point. Very soon. Yeah, and as we mentioned before, he's probably going to want to um, break Buffon's record of Serie appearances if yeah. he doesn't get traded because he's giving <laughs> some problems to... to it's going to be hard to break it from the Premier League. It's a big if. No, I, I think he's going to be able to pull a Michael Jordan, take two years off and play baseball and still come <laughs> back and, and break the uh, record. We'll see if, uh, if he does that. I'm sure that uh, the Milan fans will not um, tolerate another uh, tantrum from the from the young keeper. But guys, thank you for, um, for being with us today. Uh, that's it for today's Serie A show. Thank you, Steve, Alex, and Chris for your perspective. I highly suggest tuning in for uh, this week's games because they're going to be uh, decisive games both for the title race and for the relegation battle. So enjoy it. Uh, we will be back next Tuesday, as always, with another episode of the Total Football Analysis Serie A podcast. Ciao.